All right, well, welcome to Redesigning High School. It's our little podcast for parents and anyone else who might be interested in how we might remake school for the benefit of kids. Um, my name's Terry DeBow. I'm an English teacher and the director of special projects here at Hawkins School outside of Cleveland. And I'm Julia Griffin. I'm assistant director of the Upper School for Teaching and Learning and the director of the new Mastery School of Hawkins. Which is going to be great. Julia, there is news. Yeah. Uh, and the news is this. Uh, we have listeners. Wow. It's it's not... Not just my mom? Not, and I didn't send this to my mom because I just <laughs> thought like, she'd have notes. <laughs> I, didn't want, I didn't want her notes. Uh um, but and it's not like uh, Pod Save America level of listeners, uh, but there are listeners. So uh, first of all, like thanks everybody yeah. who's out there. Um, I mean, I'm like we originally were talking about this. Like, is this does anyone anybody right. besides moms and anyone? well, we concluded at least we're having we're having fun. We are having fun, but yeah. uh, it's great. It seems like people are listening, and we hope people more people listen. But uh, that was the news of the day, yeah, of the week. So um, this is our. Uh, sixth episode, I think, and uh, we're excited to get it going. Today, we're actually going to be talking to uh, so, uh, about something I know really little about, uh, which is uh, what work in the real world is like. I've been in schools since I was 23. Yeah. I'm, I'm older or than Or really much younger than that when you think about it. Turns out I was yeah. in school before that, too. Yes. Right? Good yeah. point. Uh, and uh, so we interviewed one of your former students, um, and uh, who's accomplished so much. I, I was worried we were going to have to exchange resumes. Uh, and then, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> right? like, oh. uh, but she's, she, yeah, she's pretty yeah. incredible. Um, and so, I, I mean, I think it's important to think about the, you know, the role of work uh, as we think about the role of school. I mean, what do you think? Like, do you think that's school's job is to prepare kids for work? What's your sense of that? I think if we if school is so separate from the real world that we don't even in any way consider what people need to be successful as adults, <laughs> happy yeah. and successful as adults, then we're probably doing it wrong. Right. So it's not that I mean, I've wrestled with this because I, I don't really have my, a great answer for it. But it's not that it's it's not preparation for work. It is helping people be adults and yes as we both know <laughs> work is an important part of adulthood yeah. it's not the only part but it's an important part so yes uh and and right now you could argue that the school design of school was very much connected to the workforce it just happens to be that workforce existed and died a while ago but we yeah. haven't necessarily yeah. made the adjustment so totally so it's yeah. kind of yeah it was a fascinating conversation our legions of i mean we're in the triple digits of Whew. listeners taken as a whole. Let's not get overexcited. Like, <laughs> but anyway, uh, they'll be interested, I think, to hear the interview. Definitely. All right. So, But before we do that, uh, we have our job, and that is to uh, think of the best and the worst thing that happened this week. So do you want to go? Yeah. Well, you know you know me. I'm a... I'm an optimist, so I always have a best thing. That's the greatest. And Some I days actually, maybe I, I'll I, have a worst thing. Do I, you have a, is yours a best thing this week, too? Yeah, I mean, I could do a worse one, which is that I had to read 700 pages of, of <laughs> reading, writing, but I'm not going to say that one. I've got a best one. Okay. Well, so I'll st- I, w- yeah. I will tell you mine. So my best one was a really interesting conversation in a group of teachers uh, who are meeting this spring here, um, a working group on feedback for mastery. Unsurprisingly, good topic um, as we're here building this 
school mm-hmm. and working in a school already that's doing a lot of feedback-based assessment. And um, so this group of teachers, um, we watched a video from the uh, Envision schools out in Oakland, California, um, which I visited, Scott and I visited with our class um, in December. And there's a lot of great material about their school, really impressive. Um, it was a student doing her portfolio defense um, at the end of her senior year, four years of learning at this high school. And she stands up there for an hour and a half and talks about her own learning, presents a metaphor for her experience. You've seen this video too. Yeah, it's, I mean, I was like, I was like getting all teary eyed at six in the morning. (laughs) The day it was due. I was had to watch it Wednesday. And uh, yeah. And by the way, we'll put the video in the show notes. So if you want want to do that, but yeah, so no, yeah, a very powerful, very touching makes you want to, work at that school and do that kind of work, you know? Absolutely. And, you know, and at the end of her defense, the teachers ask her some really hard questions along the way throughout this hour and a half. And then they go out of the room to confer, come back in and they give her feedback. And it was really interesting. They had a lot of positive things to say, but they also identified some things that she needed to work on. And in the discussion that we had with the teachers after the video, um, a lot of people zeroed in on like, well, but she has all these things to work on. So doesn't she have to go back and fix them? Mm. Um, you know, like they, at the end they said that she passed and, you know, but, but she didn't have enough evidence in her second piece of the, in the portfolio with her, you know, her lab report or whatever her piece of her paper. Um, and what we started to talk about and think about was the idea of like, does mastery mean you're done? Yeah. <laughs> does mastery mean perfection? And are being done or perfection ever possible? Is that is that actually what we're going for? Right, because it's a it, it's a it's a strange marker that if you impose it on ourselves would be right. hard. To... Well, yeah, right. Like, is any is anything in teaching ever done? Like, is any lesson is any anything ever like? Oh, that's perfect. Right, I've done it perfectly. It can can you know can't be done better. Yeah, and it, two of the teachers in the room have PhDs, and they talked about their doctoral dissertations and their defenses. Right, and. They were like, oh, my God, there were so many things they told me that I could have done better. So, And they got their PhDs. And, but they still no, got – I still have to call these people doctors, so evidently they right. did. That's right. They still got their degrees. Right. So I just thought that it was so interesting to think about because, you know, as we move away from grades and towards these defenses of mastery learning, right. um, we want to keep our eye on what actually is the goal. Yeah. Um, and I don't think we want to communicate to students that they – that mastery means that you're done and you should stop working because I don't think that's actually what people who are masters of anything do. Right. I mean, as we mentioned, like I I forget the, the, it's an apocryphal quote, but the quote is essentially (laughs) something like no one ever finishes a novel. You just abandon it. Yeah. Like there, and there's a sense of, um, my freshman year writing instructor in college said that about that. That was how everybody wrote papers. Yeah. You know, that they they just, you just abandon your paper at some point. At some point. You should stick with it as long as as possible. And then then just let let it go. go. Um, But, you know, let's just take the opposite of that. If you said perfection was mastery, then you're just imposing the A plus as the level of mastery. And even the A plus is like at some point you just abandon it and we're all like good. right? Right. So the question really is like how do you demonstrate a, a level of transferable creative knowledge or skills that's mm-hmm. that gives people confidence who knowledgeable experts or people who are you know proficient in this the confidence that you will be able to use the skills you have in whatever next right. spin, the next thing you do 
right? Right. Right. The next book you write will be even better because you got, you did this one, you know how to do it and we gave (laughs) you feedback. You'll do a better one next time. Yeah. Right. So, but it's an interesting, it's, these are complicated conversations, right? They are. Um, It really made me think, honestly. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. It was a good one. Um, what about you? My so uh, I am teaching a media literacy class, which is a class, a virtual class I've taught for twenty something years, um, and it. I always say it's it, this is really a class for me, right? Because it's my bit of um, if I could contribute something to the to the world, it would be getting people to think critically about this culture that pretends to be frivolous and meaningless. Um, and yet is the most powerful educator that human beings have ever created um, because it's so ubiquitous and so powerful and it pretends to be nothing. Totally. Um, and so we are touching the third rail and we are doing a long, deep exploration of the role of popular culture and news and our understanding of race in America. Um, really important. Really important. And so I have a class of juniors and seniors, some of which are second semester seniors. Actually, Whew. every senior is a second yeah. semester senior. They are three weeks away from being done, right? And then yeah. they have their senior projects, which we all understand what that means, right? So, uh, And so we're talking about race. Um, and uh, one of the guys in the class um, sends me an email on Tuesday, unsolicited Tuesday night, 8 o'clock. Um, and it's an article. Uh, and uh, he loves sports and all of that. And uh, the, the article is called Privileged by Kyle Korver. He used to be a uh, basketball player for the Cleveland. I've uh, read Cowboys. this one. Yeah, it's really, it was it, really it's good. Very smart. Very yeah. Very thoughtful. Yeah. Um, and uh, this kid just out of the blue said, I read this and I think you should see it. I think it's great. And I, it, he, he beat me to it. I, you know, it popped up on my feed, you know, mm-hmm. a couple hours later. And uh, it was one of those moments where you think like, what are we, yes. how do we assess whether someone has learned something? <laughs> uh, and I don't know what this kid's grade is. It's probably not perfection. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, but it, uh, it, it, it revealed a level of sensitivity and awareness um, yeah. on a, on a young yeah. man, you know, on the verge of something who, uh, that was, it just, yeah, it was kind of, it was a touching moment and a powerful piece. And he's a white kid. I'm a white teacher. It's a white basketball player. And we are, you know, doing our best fumbling through this hard conversation around race. Um, and it was really, yeah, it was kind of a poignant little wow. moment and it wasn't, you know, it wouldn't show up on a GPA, you know? No, but or, talk about being able to transfer some, your understanding to a novel context, right? Yeah. And to yeah. see that out yeah. of the world. I mean, and, let's be clear. Yeah. Like, you, you, no one gets a trophy for, you know, noticing this article. Like, there's a lot of work that we all have sure. to do around this area. But it was a signal that yes. something was happening intellectually. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, it was, a, it, was, it was a good moment. Good moment. Nice. So, um, all right. Well, let's get to some other good moments. Uh, let's. We're going to talk to Sarah, um, and uh, after her, the interview, we'll come back and we'll do our little recap. Great. Sound good? All right. Yep. Hope you guys enjoy the interview. It is always so cool when former students come back and they're these wonderful, fully fledged, beautiful, impressive adults. <laughs> so Sarah, cool. Sarah Doran Pearson, it is such a pleasure to have you back here. What is it like to be back at Hawken? You're so generous, Julia. Um, <laughs> it's true. It's it's energizing, right? Change is underway. I've only been gone for, what do we say, 13 years now. Yeah. Um, and I, I just can't believe the changes. 
right? From, from the yeah. experience that I had here at Hawk and the experience that I've seen these students having, not only here, but when you guys have come out and yeah. visited various uh, workplaces that I've been at, yeah. um, I just see a totally different student body. Yeah. Uh, frankly, even a different maturity level. I don't. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd invite you into my class. Sometimes you'd see some <laughs> vaguely familiar maturity levels of 15 year olds. Oh, they're here, right? It's teenagers. You know? That's true. That's true. But it's no, true. It's, it's unbelievable to see. Right? Oh. Very energizing. Oh. Yeah. The momentum. Well, yeah. Well, no, thank you. That's that's wonderful. And thank you again, by the way, for so graciously welcoming us when we came out to Google um, in December. It was wonderful to see you and John Sherm, um, who's another alum, and uh, just to get to see you all in your element um, and hear from you about what the work modern, the current and the workplace is like and what it might be like in the future, too. Um, so it's just it's true. It was awesome. The yeah. kids loved I, I it. Was, I was watching on Instagram out in freezing Cleveland. I'm like, oh, looks like everyone's having a good time at Google and Apple and everywhere else you went. So, um, all right. So uh, I don't know you. I haven't met you. So uh, it's nice to meet you. And can you tell us a little bit about what you've done? Like what are your, a brief rundown of your experiences, which I know are pretty impressive. Sure. Sure. So as you mentioned, graduated from Hawkins 2006. Um, most of my time here was spent learning, but then also swimming. Spent a lot of time under Jerry Holtry and Rick Stacy uh, swimming. I then left Hawkins and I went to the Naval Academy. A little bit unconventional, I'd say, at least for that time. Um, mm-hmm. So I went to the Naval Academy. I had this, this calling, I suppose, just to take on a, a bigger challenge. I don't think I knew that I could do it at that point. I just knew it would be hard. Um, and I will leave it at that. I knew it would be challenging. So went to the Naval Academy. I uh, studied economics, graduated mm-hmm. with a BS in economics, participated in various various uh, different organizations. I continued to swim at the Naval Academy. I leveraged the connections across the military to travel quite a bit, uh, learned what it was like to work with uh, different national militaries around the world and support efforts that aligned pretty closely to some of my passions. Um, yeah, so that was, that was four years in Annapolis, Maryland. After the Naval Academy, I, of course, had an obligatory service to our country and uh, raised my right hand and commissioned as an officer in the United States Navy. In the, the Navy, I ended up spending about five years, and I did things from counter-drug, counter-narcotic operations down in the Caribbean, um, down over to San Diego, where I worked on a big deck, uh, an amphibious vehicle that we bring Marines on board and deploy forces around the world. So I had various leadership opportunities to, to uh-huh. learn and to grow in the military. And then I decided, you know, the military were probably was probably it for me, right? I saw that was a, enough. Yeah, I saw a greater opportunity, yeah. right? I think the the capitalism in the background was very appealing. Yeah. <laughs> Go out, right? Take your skills, continue to fine-tune, learn more, um, and see what you can do. Mm-hmm. So I jumped from the military, and I went to GE. Mm. And uh, at the time, I remember looking at various companies, various institutions, and I thought, well, General Electric, they've been around for 120 years. Right. They're, I've got to be able to come learn something. They're doing something right. Um for those of you that watch the news, perhaps now in 2019, <laughs> something was not right. But at the time, I, I was blind to that. Um, so I jumped into one of GE's accelerated leadership programs, and I got to, frankly, flex some of those leadership muscles, those management muscles that I had 
developed in the military while cutting my teeth in different industries, right? In rail and mining and understanding what supply chain management was, what's program management, product management. And I ended up kind of finding a niche in the IoT, the Internet of Things space, in particular within the industrial uh, within the industrial uh, space. So, yeah, I spent a few years at GE, enjoyed it, um, dove deep into IoT, and then I said, I need a new challenge. I, I'm the type of person that gets bored if I'm not being challenged, and that's generally when I start looking and tapping into my network and figuring out where to go next. So um, very quickly, almost overnight, decided to jump over to Google. So I'm at Google currently, and at Google I lead our support strategy for the Google Assistant. So I'm fortunate enough to to be on the receiving end of all the billions of users, hundreds of millions of users <laughs> that are not pleased with their Google Assistant uh, powered devices in their homes or their phones. No. They're supposed to write directly to you, right? Oh. Is that with their concerns? Say, Google Assistant. This yeah. isn't working. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's very personal. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, it's like it's a help run those operations and just kind of understand how we can better support our users yeah. there. So it's, it's been a journey. Yeah. That seems like quite a journey. I, whenever I yeah. talk, this is the whole point of this. Uh, like, I think like, and all those, what was I, I was teaching Huck Finn. Uh, I was reading Catcher in the Rye for the 30th time. <laughs> uh, I was grading essays. Uh, and I you're, know. And, and it's you're true. on an amphibious uh, assault uh, vehicle or something. So <laughs> what a world. Yes. What I know. What a world. It's true. And I think, you know, as Terry says, I think like the world of school and then the real world, you know, are 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 different. Um, And so I think part of what we are exploring globally and in this conversation is, well, what are the things in school? And so maybe this is actually a question best thought of as a question for you. Like what in when you think about your experiences in school, what are the ones that were most helpful to you when you got out of school on that amazing journey of these last 13 years? What, what kinds of things did school do? And are there things that, that schools in general could have done better to help prepare you? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I'm glad we're as a Hawking community taking a look at just this. Um, For me, it's frankly comes down to the soft skills or the things that I took away. Yes. I, I was introduced to new cultures and, in religions and countries and everything, right? Stories, but it's the soft skills, right? It was the teamwork, having ownership over um, a, a piece of responsibility for that team or that group project. Um, it's empathy, which maybe that's more of a hindsight thing. I don't know right. that I was cognizantly developing empathy mm-hmm. with my peers in high school. When you were 17. Right. Mm-hmm. So that may be more, but just to understand that you, you can't fully grasp or have an awareness for other people unless you can kind of empathize with them, right? Yeah. Um, which is key in the business world today, right? You can't design products unless you right. can fully yeah, empathize. Yeah, human-centered design, right? You've got to be exactly. able to anticipate their problems, things like that. That's exactly. Um, you know, when I think of... Is there a job at Google that I can... Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I got a little bit... Terry just has begun to interview <laughs> yeah, for yeah. this job in yeah, real time. I'm going to tap into my right, network. Right. Right. <laughs> sorry, yeah, I interrupt you. <laughs> Um, the other thing too, I would say from maybe more of the, my college experience at the Naval Academy, it was very leadership focused. So yes, of course I yeah. took all my engineering courses and, and everything, but, um, it was interesting to dive into that topic, which has been continually debated and I don't know, and 
represented or misrepresented for centuries. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to understand that from like a philosophical approach, from, from a classroom approach, and then go apply that yeah. in the military firsthand. You try something and you, you see a terrible response from your team of 25 sailors, and you're like, oh, that, did, that was wrong. Who, who said that? Napoleon? <laughs> that, that does not work in real life. Um, so armed with some of the skills to, frankly, just go practice, right? Yeah. It was the knowledge to go and now mm-hmm. apply um, within the military and in the private sector. Yeah. I think that that's such an important thing to identify that uh, – you can learn all the things you want sitting, listening in a classroom and sitting and reciting and repeating them back and processing. And it's not that those things don't matter. But I think when all of us think about the moments when we've learned the most, it almost always is when we actually get out there and do something, right? right? right. You have the experience, you try something that you've learned, or you try something based on what your best guess is in the circumstances. And then you see how it goes and you process and reflect and Hopefully, you learn and then you apply the next time you're in some similar situation. That's exactly design thinking, right? How do we bring this to high schoolers? That's how I operate in in the high tech space. I think it spans many industries, maybe not all, um, as my father likes to point out. But in many (laughs) industries, this approach absolutely does work, right? Make a decision. Get something out there based on the information you have and we can always iterate, right? We can always improve upon um, yeah, no, I yeah. agree. Bring more of it, more of it to younger, <laughs> younger students. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess, so, you know, so maybe that's the answer to the, the next question that I had in my mind, which was when we think about young students and sometimes I think you call them young leaders, which I love, um, like what, what are the things that you think they need the most that will, that will help them to be successful? Like if we could, if there are things that we could cultivate and you're the answer may be in what you've just said, but what would, what would those things be? What qualities or skills or? It's what I call the foundation, right? So when I hire and build teams, I look for the foundational skills, right? It's the drive. It's these inherent things that come so obvious right. perhaps to, to many, but it's, it's the drive. It's the perseverance, the agility. We operate in such a complex and ambiguous space today. Um, again, I don't think that's just my industry. I think right. that's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's only going to get progressively more complex the ability to navigate that not only independently but as a team and guide a team through that complexity uh while keeping your team (laughs) helping with retention Mm -hmm. don't let everybody jump ship but um that's that's key just the agility right the other piece too is this the communication Mm -hmm. our communication styles and the methods that we communicate with have drastically changed just in the last two decades yeah a little on four Completely. or five decades right so communication for me is two ways it's how do you listen you know how is your active listening do you bring a curious mindset right do you surround yourself with people that have diversity and experiences and thought thoughts to challenge you but then it's how do we communicate and it's yeah. not just our tools but all the personalities that i communicate differently with software engineers than i would a business development manager Two different approaches, two yeah. different mindsets, right? So how do you see it when you're doing your hiring? By asking questions. And I hate the you know, the behavioral question piece, but something like drive or perseverance, help me understand a time you did this, but then diving in, maybe that's the active listener, <laughs> diving yeah. in. So yeah. but what about this one player? You know, mm-hmm. who is this one person in that? And how did you handle that? Right. And putting people in situations, um, 
to see how they'd respond. Yeah, so I guess what I'm getting at is when I think about school is, you know, wouldn't it be helpful if a young person, a young leader, had a sort of a constellation of experiences they could draw from to answer those questions, right? That were based on things they'd done or experiences they've had or that as opposed to, you know, something flat like a transcript or like a GPA, you know, that's sort of that's where exactly. we're going, right? That if and you if, if if one of the things school could do is provide those opportunities for learning, failure, iteration, success, when they get to your interview, you know, would they have more to talk about and more ways to persuade you that they had those skills? And I would go one step further than Terry and say, not only would they be able to describe it to Sarah in the interview, but just think of the potential for rich, deep growth in those areas when you do have a chance to have a series of experiences in in, I would argue, the lower stakes environment of school than fi- having those experiences for the first time when you're out in the real world right. with 25 sailors um, or wherever you are, or with your product development team or wherever you are. But if, if school gives you space to practice and to learn, like, can't we give you space to practice and learn some of the things that you actually might need to do out in the world? I don't know. That's my argument. <laughs> So these are questions sign that are up. actually answers, but yeah. do you agree with their answers? Or do, do you... Yes, sign me up. I, why didn't we have this 50 years ago? I, I know. I know. That's exactly how we should be arming our our young learners as they come out of their undergrad, or go into undergraduate and then come into the workforce, right? Mm-hmm. The, these are the skills, the hard skills you'll learn. If you need to know a, a certain skill, we've got schooling options or companies will educate you for that, right? Right. right. Just the yeah, no, I agree. I'm, I'm fully on board, and I'm glad that that's a key part of the mastery school and yeah. Hawking in general. Yeah, right? it's true. Yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's, I, it's, yeah. so, I mean, the direction of this school, you know, for the last decade or so has been in creating these kind of experiences. And totally. It's, it's, you know, I used to do college counseling, and you could see it in the way they write about their college, you know, their high school experience and their college process. Um, but that's still transactional, right? That's still moving it from one level to the next. What you're talking about, when you get they get to the workplace is do they have these life experiences that they can pull from that not only to persuade you but so that they actually could do the job right right because exactly. right? i imagine it's pretty disappointing when they get through the interview process and they actually get to work and they actually they don't know how to do these things <laughs> you just have to support them more right. okay. take more time on the manager right right to get them where they need to be right. yeah yeah but no i agree and to your point julie about the learning piece right the ability to bounce back from these failures you're talking before about you know success versus failure yeah i had plenty of failures along the way and i routinely say i fail in a very large scale right there's some people that (laughs) fail behind the scenes no one noticed whatever i do and it goes both ways i think right you know it's noticed and it's picked up and it's a very very public failure but it's kind of taught me it has taught me obviously to to rebound right this is just how we learn and more importantly it's taught me to Take a chance. Yeah. yeah. Make a decision. That's probably the biggest gap yeah. in the workforce that I see, right? Yeah. Analyze your data and make a decision. You don't need a 100% solution. Mm-hmm. Just get something out there. Yeah. Right. I mean, and, and the other thing that occurs to me that it probably um, bolsters your own confidence and your own. Um, not to get too soft skills in this, but your own ability to to forgive yourself, right? If everything is so high stakes and you make a mistake and there's a huge consequence, you can that can come back on you on your own self conception. But if you can fail up or you can fail and then rebound, it, I assume, 
I mean, I've had it personally too. Like sure. you get more confidence in your ability yeah. to be okay with yourself. And it just strikes me as you're talking that that might be a consequence of this process as well. With time. With time. <laughs> Those first ones, I recall. First still just hurt. Down but just... what it has helped me with is the ability to empathize when other people yeah. are going yes. through. It's great to say, hey, look, not a big deal. Here's a great story I've got. Right. Someone got hurt. Or, right. You know, yeah. I'm joking. Uh, but <laughs> so it helps, I think, lead more effective teams when you've truly walked in those shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So, uh, again, we've been in the bubble of education for mm-hmm. quite a while. So, um Without being too cute, can you tell? What's it like out there? Like, can you tell us what's the future? What's oh. going to happen? <laughs> right? I'm, on that. I'm not in HR. I think they probably they, analyze that. Far but when, more. You, when you think about the world of work, and you know, you're right on the cusp, and you know, in San Francisco and yeah. Google, so it yeah. seems like you would have a window that, would, and you know, we don't have right now. But what do you see coming? First, I think the rest of the world's going to catch up to what I see at Google today, right? To see mm-hmm. to some of these more progressive companies, same way in the education space, right? People will catch up with with what you guys are doing here. Um, and that's kind of what I was describing, right? It's that very agile workforce. People hop in and out. I said, hey, I'm not in HR. Well, maybe I could be tomorrow. I and mean, people really do shuffle around. They'll go from engineering to what we call people operations or, or HR to products. They'll hop around. And I think... Again, that just speaks to the ability to learn what you need to learn technically on the job, but bring those skills, that foundation you've carried and built upon your whole professional, personal career, your, your whole life. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the agility will be there. I don't necessarily subscribe to the, the piece where everyone says, oh, all, all these jobs are going to be missing in five years, ten years. I see more of like an augmented role. Think okay. about teaching, right? Yeah. Three decades ago, four decades ago, did you have all the tools that you have today? Right. No. And now we can reach more more learning styles, mm-hmm. and that message can resonate stronger. It's the same way everywhere, everywhere else, right? You're going to still have these core competencies, but you're going to be augmented from the STEM side, mm-hmm. right, whatever that application is. So um, I think the interdependency, uh, frankly, a strong understanding of the STEM foundations, depending on the industry, but mm-hmm. for many, I think will become increasingly important. Um, and I think we've seen that in the academic space, right? Yeah. You've seen that the last few decades. Yeah, shift there. absolutely. I mean, I think about the, the the toolbox, right, as you say. And, you know, think about what the what the sort of personalization of pace is that can happen when you not only have a great math teacher who knows you and knows your name and knows exactly what you need, but they can also refer you to, you know, Khan Academy videos or other resources or things that are available that help to supplement that, right? Um, so I'm actually, I have to say, I can be a little bit of a tech um, uh, I've watched too much science fiction, so I can get a little paranoid. So it's deeply reassuring to hear somebody with an IoT background like yours <laughs> and with your experience level tell me that we aren't all going to be replaced right. no. by robots, our students included, but just that, that there's that more complex relationship um, and more uh, possibilities yeah. um, that we could foresee. Yeah, I mean, I think about, you know, I've got two daughters who are moving towards adulthood slowly. Um, but uh, like, I, I hope there are jobs. I forgot about that part. I, thought, I remember like health insurance and, and we got a dog. I forgot we had to think about their jobs in the future. So it's reassuring. But do you think that, uh, that you know, the pace of technology and everything else is going to change what work looks like and feels like? I don't. I don't think in the foreseeable future. Um, do I think maybe by the time your daughters are retiring, that's it could great. look different? Uh, <laughs> Seems like that's out of my consideration I, set at this point. Yeah. 
I don't know, but I'm also not an expert in this space. Sure. So right. uh, these are opinions sure. of Sarah Pearson alone. Um, <laughs> so no, I, I think no, I think they'll, there's they'll jobs fine. out there. Yes, but you think there's also you know th- that the jobs are going to be uh, there are the the skills that they're going to need are ones that you mentioned like there's agility and there's ability to um, c- collaborate and be with groups and all of that. Those are the things that we should be. So that's really our question, and that's the you know, and it's I think in some ways an open question about the extent to which a high school needs to be linking its program to this imagined workforce out there. Um, but do you think that high school has a role in preparing people for work? Absolutely, I think they have a huge role. I would argue all of your primary mm-hmm. school, mm-hmm. Um, all school has a has a role and an impact on different portions of your career, depending on when you seek higher education or. Um, I think it plays a huge role. I, again, would say it comes back to these skills. It's these soft skills. Your hard skills will change with time. You'll find what you're passionate about. Not to overuse the word. It's used a lot. But you'll find what resonates with you. Yeah. And and, and you'll get the necessary hard skills you need to solve that problem when that's, when that's relevant, when that time makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, to pick an example related to that, my father-in-law was the dean of a medical school for – a while, quite a while. And he said that, you know, in training doctors, um, they had this point are so much more focused on getting people to think like a doctor than focus than training them in all the techniques because all of those changed. changed. Right. So instead it's, I, I think it's the same across professions, as you've said, that it's that, it's that ability to learn how, you know, of, of knowing how to learn and be self-directed yes. and identify how to close the gap between what you need to know and what you know right now. Um, and it would be nice if school were built like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the idea. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I think you, uh, you have to go, you got to go to lunch or something. And so you know. Wanda, uh, which is uh, fantastic, but thank you so much for coming in and uh, for having this conversation with us and giving us a, a little window into the world outside the school door. Well, yeah. Thanks for letting me in. Thank you, Sarah. And it's such a pleasure. Back. Yeah. All yes. Right. All right. Good. Thanks, Terry. Thank totally you. Appreciate it. Thank sure. you. Well, that was pretty interesting. Uh, she was a very compelling uh, graduate. How did it feel to talk to someone you knew when she was seventeen or something? Yeah. Oh my gosh, it was great. Uh, it was so great to hear from Sarah, and uh, she's so. Uh, just uh, you know, I really admire how poised and thoughtful she is, and how, um, uh, how you know, and honestly, just how much she she really wants to make an impact in the world. Yeah. Um, so it's just great to see her and have a chance to catch up. Yeah, um, I wasn't yeah. surprised at all when she started talking about her leadership skills and all of that. Right. Because when you meet her, you're like, oh, she seems like yes. she, she's got her life together, it seems, right? Yeah, uh, yeah so it was uh, – she was impressive. And what she was saying about, um, you know, her agility, right, her moving yes. from, you know, amphibious boats to right. GE to, to Google, Google right? right? It does suggest a certain kind of person, a uh, young person, right? She's – Yeah. You know, and uh, – and transferable yeah. skills, right? Like, and the idea that you can 
look at a context, look at a problem, join a team and be able to make a contribution and not have just like a really narrow set of things that you know how to do that only apply in one context. Yeah. I'm an architect. I do architecture. Right. Um, Right. So yeah. Although not to knock architects. (laughs) I love architects. My favorite people are architects. I know. Uh, But I'm just saying a, a skill set that is more that, that is, that, that can be transferred and that right. there was also a thing I wanted to point out that I heard and thought about afterwards. Like she actually wanted change, you know? Right. <laughs> like, and I wonder if that's an aptitude or the skill or mm-hmm. a constitution that's going to be different in this yeah. next wave, because I think it's pretty fair to say that many, many people are sort of change averse, right? Mm-hmm. Is it a lock in mm-hmm. lock out? Right. You're sort of in. And it seems like she was really, you know, she was the shark. She got always need to be moving, you know, and uh, she got some joy out of that. She wasn't um, made overly uncomfortable about being dropped into a new environment, right. new kind of job, right? Well, and, you know, what's interesting, too, is that I, so she talked about hiring and, you know, in the hiring that we do here at Hawken, what we've found increasingly over the last several years is that it's actually totally critical to work at a school that moves fast like Hawken does to hire people who are comfortable with change and flexible and able to have that agility. And I wonder whether most workplaces over these next few decades, whether that, as she said, really is the biggest change that's likely to happen. And so can you cultivate those, that, that nimbleness? Yeah. Is it a disposition intrinsically or is it a thing you can grow? Or maybe the answer is both. Maybe it's both, you know, but you know, if you're an educator, you think most things can right. be taught, can be taught. To, to some extent. Exactly. Right? That's right. right. We, we don't have the people can grow fixed mindset. Like I can't be creative. I can't be right. a leader. Right. We believe right. that people can, you know, given the right environment situation, all that. Agreed. So, um, but I'll be honest, I'm still a bit torn. Like I don't know the relationship between school and work. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, I think if you over engineer it, you know, and say like, uh, yeah, so we need to train everybody how to, you know, use an MRI or, you know, use this particular program. Program. Like, I, I don't know if that's really what we're talking about. I think, in my mind, being cognizant that the world has changed fundamentally, constitutionally changed, and yet there are enduring human skills that stay the same. And how do you balance that? That, to me, is sort of the question we need to wrestle with as you redesign school. Well, I agree. And I think that what's different about the potentially about school, a school where you work on real world problems and a workplace is that um, – if in school we're, it's a our goal is to cultivate a learning environment, then we're picking the problems that are interesting, challenging, allow for creativity. It's like an idealized version yeah. of the workplace. So it's not the workplace where you still have to do all the like most tedious things that just still have to get done in jobs, right? But we're we're curating those problems that are optimized in some ways to allow students to learn right. and to learn really challenging things and to give them a number of different contexts in which to learn. Right. So, and like she said, sorry, but no, to, no. to practice, right. To grow, yeah. to, to strengthen muscles, yeah. to identify muscles that you right. didn't know you had, you know? So, right. um, so that I think I'm, I feel really comfortable with that. Yeah. And not to keep going on this, but like, but and the, the other similarity is that you get to, to work on the students or workers get to work on things that are real, Yeah, which is what we do every day when we come to work. Right? right. So imagine if you were coming to work and then you got, you were designing a lesson plan for media literacy and you had to work really hard on it and then you never were going to actually teach the class. Right. 
it's all simulation and then it's over. At a certain point, it would be like really tedious and you'd be like making it up or whatever. <laughs> right. Like, you know, it's not as motivating as I have to do, design a really good lesson plan that I then am going to go to right. teach to these real kids. Right. Yeah, no, um, I think that so, it clearly there's there's a there's a logic to it. I just um and I think being aware of how the world has changed in these fundamental ways is really important. Yeah. I guess in some ways I just want to make sure that people don't mistake, you know, a mastery based school or as a as a as a job training school. Like we're not Agreed. we're not exchanging that, right? In no, fact, there are these totally enduring agreed. human things that we need to learn that maybe not they they, they may not have direct application. Like I don't I'm not giving up like reading novels, right? right? Or reading poetry right? because there's something to it and the act of unpacking that, you know, might not have a direct application at Google, but there's something human that needs to be explored and that has a place at a master-based mm-hmm. school. Mm-hmm. Right? Because that's a competency that we can create a mastery standard for. Well, and there was a great um there's a great presentation by Emily Jones of the Putney School at a Mastery Transcript Consortium site directors meeting last year, um, where she talked about the work they'd done at Putney to figure out what's accessible and what's not. And then they said and she said, and we have this whole category of things that we realized we couldn't figure out how to measure, but that we think they're important anyway, and so we're going to do them. Yeah. And w- and making art was one of those yeah. things. They're like, we don't always want to be measuring the art, but we think it's good for kids, and so Very, we want them to do it. Yeah. And so I think of you know Virginia Woolf's line where she says, you know, what, so why even bother to do some things? And then and it and Peter Walsh says, well, beauty anyhow. Yeah. Right. We should read poetry because beauty anyhow. Beauty anyhow. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. That could be the title of the show, but we have to do it. All right. <laughs> so um, anyway, that was fun. That was great. Yeah. Uh, thank you to uh, Sarah uh, Pearson for joining us. And thanks to you, Julia, and to anyone else out there still listening. Um, you can find our podcast on iTunes or any other spots where you get your podcasts. Um, please follow us on Redesigning School on whatever social media channel. Uh, we're growing. Although, you know, it's funny. Like everyone said, like, it's going to be Instagram. I got like 16 Instagram files. I'd like more. We'd like more. Twitter is blowing <laughs> up, though. Who cool. I can't believe this is my life. Right? Exactly. I know. I was just reading books, and now I'm talking about Twitter. All right. Anyway, <laughs> follow us where you can. Leave comments. Uh, go to our website, redesigningschool.org. Um, subscribe to our newsletter. The first one is in process. So anyway, that was fun. Thank yeah. you, Julia. Thanks, and, Terry. And uh, we'll be back uh, in a couple weeks. Bye.